morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is James 1, 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> Christina says, turn to James 1. Scott, right behind me, is like, we're still in James 1, huh? I'm like, it, it, it has been a long time in James 1, hasn't it? We are still in James 1. I think this is our last week. Let me make sure. This is our last week in James 1. Yes. Uh, see, there's sadness. See that? Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, I don't know where Christina went, but that was, uh, that's, you're not Christina. Um, that was really um, convicting to me, what she just shared. Um, we are so individualistic, aren't we? Or I'll, let me make this personal. I am so individualistic. I think about my own spiritual growth, uh, and then beyond that, I think about my own happiness <laughs> and comfort and satisfaction. And, um, and the New Testament is constantly pointing us back to one another, and that was really convicting to me. So uh, I think James is trying to help us figure out how to live uh, life together, and um, today we look at a passage where uh, one of the ways we have to learn to live life together is in the context of uh, diverse socioeconomic situations. And this is a passage where he addresses the poor or the lowly and the rich and has some words for each of them that, you know, it's a short passage, but it, I promise it packs a big punch, as you may have felt as you heard it read. Um, if you go back to verse 1, um, because we're still in James 1.1, 1, 1, uh, he calls them to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And I, I mentioned the first week that it's, it's very possible that, that that word scattering could actually refer to uh, when Stephen was first stoned, the first martyr of the church, there was persecution that broke out in Jerusalem and believers were scattered uh, throughout the empire. And so some of these, these are probably Jewish believers, may have been scattered because of persecution. And so now they're trying to uh, figure out life in a place that isn't their home. And imagine, you know, trying to find work and pick up a job. And so uh, most scholars think that a lot of James' audience were fairly poor believers. Um, these are people that were, probably had become uh, day laborers because they had been ousted from their local communities or they maybe were tradesmen uh, trying to figure things out, but uh, often not of high socioeconomic uh, means. But of course, there were also rich Christians. And so you've got these poor Christians and rich Christians trying to figure out doing life together in a community of faith, and that creates all sorts of complications. And so James has some things to say uh, to both uh, today that I'm actually really excited to talk about today. I'm very, this is a fascinating little passage, I think. And I want to start by pointing out the word that is the, at the heart of this uh, passage. And the word is, well, it's two words in my English, is take pride. The humble take pride in something, and the rich take pride. Or yours might say, boast. Let the humble boast. Uh, or um, old translations say the word glory. Let the humble glory uh, in, their, in their rich. Let the rich glory in something. And this word is a really important biblical word, okay? And it, it's getting at what is it that you, at your core, put your confidence in? 
What do, you, what do you put your security in? What's that thing that you're like, yep, this is where I find my legitimacy or my confidence, my, maybe even my joy and satisfaction? What's that the foundation that you're kind of planting your life on deep in your heart? You might not tell anybody this, but you're like, yeah, this is the thing that's like, yep, this is, this is my thing. And I was thinking of our English phrase, pride and joy. You know that phrase? And I think that, that captures it a little bit. And maybe, you know, for instance, you, you maybe go over to someone's house for dinner, and they got a really nice house, and then at the end of the night, they take you into their garage, and they show you a particular vehicle, and they say, this is my pride and joy, you know? That, that kind of, it's that kind of thing. Or, uh, or someone who's, who started a company, and after 40 years, blood, sweat, and tears, they've built up this company, and they say to you, this, this is my pride and joy, or you maybe go to someone's house and you see these little kiddos running around in the backyard and, and a parent says, these are my pride and joy. This, these, this, this thing that I, my heart boasts and takes pride and finds security and confidence makes me feel like everything's kind of okay because of this thing. Okay? It's a very important word, boast. And uh, it's actually um, Paul, it's one of Paul's favorite words. Paul uses it all the time and he uses it in some very upside down radical ways. And I actually want to show you, this gets at the heart of what I want to say today, a place where Paul uses this word is at the end of his letter to the Galatians. And he says something very strange. It's the same word. He says this, may I never boast, take pride, find confidence, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, when I found Christ, I had a whole new paradigm for what my heart boasts in and takes pride in. And you got to remember, before Paul met Jesus, um, he, from a worldly standpoint, he had it all. He was a man who had everything according to like first century Jewish life. Paul was living what they would have considered the good life back then. Paul was wealthy. Um, Paul was a, a religious expert. He was knowledgeable. He was very well respected in the community. He had power. He had influence. Kind of everything you would want as a first century Jewish man. Paul had it from a worldly perspective. We could, whatever that Orange County equivalent in, in 2024 is, that was Paul. And then he encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he encountered the cross of Christ. And the cross confronted him with two things. One was actually his spiritual poverty. This guy who thought, like, if anybody's in, in, in God's community of faith, I'm, I'm the inner circle. And then he encountered the cross, and the cross said, no, poor, you, Paul, you are so poor. You have no idea. You are destitute. All your self-righteous religion, all that pharisaical stuff you've been going after, none of that gets you into the kingdom of God. This cross declares you as guilty as anybody. A sinner, broken, all your righteous attempts don't even get you to the doorstep of the kingdom of God. You are spiritually destitute. Hard for a, a really a religiously respectable man to, to understand. But at the very same time, he learned, and at this cross, you have spiritual riches you could never have dreamed of when you were looking for the riches of this world. The Son of God, the Messiah has come and he has given his life for you. You now have forgiveness apart from any work you do for God. Acceptance by God as a sheer gift 
of grace. And God's spirit that was promised long ago has now filled you through just his sheer grace and your faith in Jesus Christ. And you are now an heir of eternal life. The kingdom of heaven is yours, Paul. You are destitute and you are so very rich. And Paul came to understand that. It took him some years to get, get his head around what had happened. But he began to realize, this and this alone is my boast. This is my pride and joy. This is the thing, the rock that my life, that, that I am standing on every day of my life. And when he made this his boast, something changed in his relationship with the world. Okay? And the way that I, I like he hearing it described is when he came to the cross, his love affair with this world was ended once and for all. And that's what he says. Listen, I, I never boast except in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. What on earth does that mean? The world has been crucified to me. He says this. You know, the, He's saying the world and its riches, uh, the, the status and reputation I had, the pleasures, the securities I used to seek, uh, and, and all that had so much appeal for me at the cross, all of that died the love affair died. I look at the world and everything it offers now, I'm like, world, you just don't do it for me anymore. Like, the old spark is gone. That's what he's like, you just don't do it for me anymore. There's, you, in light of what I've found here, there's nothing you could possibly offer me that is, is as good as this. The world has died to me. The world has been crucified to me. And, he says, the opposite has also happened. I have been crucified to the world. You know, the world used to look at me and think, Paul, you're an amazing guy. You're, you're awesome. Now the world, world looks at me like, hey, you're not much to look at either, Paul. Like, you used to be this epic rabbi. Now you're just a bumbling, traveling preacher. You're poor. You're destitute half the time. You, you have no status anymore. Like, you've lost your mojo, Paul. You, you've got nothing. Like, this love affair with the world has been severed, and the world doesn't think much of me anymore. And guess what? I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. <laughs> the world's been crucified to, to me and I to the world. I boast in the cross of Christ. I have found something that is better than anything this world has to offer. This is my boast, okay? I want to start there because that's essentially what James is talking about in this passage. But he's applying this idea of boasting specifically to the issue of wealth and poverty. And what he's saying in this short little passage is, is when the gospel gets inside of you, um, it turns upside down your source of boasting, and that dramatically changes your relationship with wealth and with poverty. So that's like half my sermon right there. Um, but let's look at this, these three little verses. He starts, verse 9, with believers in humble circumstances. Literally, the word there... Uh, the word is the word that means low. So a good translation would be those who are lowly, um, the downcast, right, socioeconomically, but in other ways as well. And again, I mentioned these are people who had been scattered. A lot of them were, were day laborers at this point, and this, this may be risky to say this, but I, I was picturing like today in our Orange County context and um, the experience of going to like Home Depot, okay, or going to U-Haul to pick up a, a U-Haul and you're going to, you know, do some moving or something like that. And there's a group of guys usually out, out in the parking lot and they are looking for work, right? They are 
Day laborers, they are showing up in the morning and hoping to be hired for work. Maybe you have been one of those people at some point in your life. Maybe you've hired one of those people at some point in your life. But there's this, this, just this dailiness to I'm look, I wake up, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but someone picks me up and I don't know what that wage is going to be, but this is what I'm doing. At least that's what I see on a Saturday when I, when I stop by there. So this is the experience of, of a lot of these Christians, something akin to that. Again, that may have been you, or maybe that is you, or maybe you're on the other side of that. Um, I was thinking about what, what the, the experiences of the lowly in the first century, which are very similar to the experiences of the lowly today. And let me just list a couple of these. This, you could go, come up with these yourselves. Uh, lowliness is an experience of scarcity, okay? Um, this, this feeling, I don't know if I have the resources to make ends meet. I don't know if the resources are going to be there for me beyond today, okay? Uh, it's an experience of vulnerability. An experience of, gosh, it feels like there's just forces outside of my control that kind of blow me here and there that I, I really can't control. Oftentimes, those are actually legal forces. We'll find out in chapter five. A lot of these people were being taken advantage of in court. But it's a vulnerable place, a, a, a feeling of powerlessness, a feeling of I don't have the resources or maybe even the wherewithal to shape the world around me in the ways that I want to shape it. I'm, I'm trying to get an apartment and someone comes in with a better credit score, they get the apartment, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a job and then someone else gets it. It's, it's a feeling of I, 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 can't, I can't always shape the world. It just The world just kind of moon around me and I, I'm kind of stuck in this swirling world that's happening. And then it can be a, an experience socially of being overlooked, of uh, being not seen as legitimate uh, or, or you know, substantial among a lot of the circles of the world. And that kind of lowliness carries various temptations, right? The temptation of discouragement uh, or even despair or resentment or anxiety or the temptation to honor rich people more than they should be honored, to, fe- to feel more inferior than you should. All sorts of temptations, So maybe you have experienced that at some point in your life. James, here's here's James' simple invitation, is to consider this to the lowly. Don't forget, where is your boast? Where can you take pride? Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride, boast in their high position. It's a nice little plan words. You're lowly, but you should boast in your height. And of course, what he's saying is you can boast in who you are in Christ. All the spiritual riches that you have in Jesus Christ. I couldn't help but think of this um, great summation of the gospel, which actually has like the height analogy to it. This is Paul in Ephesians 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I know, or I'm going to say Paul throughout this series. James is saying, I know that you are poor, ah, but you are so rich. Don't forget how rich you are in Christ. The incomparable riches of Christ's grace. Focus on that. Paul saying you might be of low status in, in your circles, 
But don't forget, you are now clothed in Christ. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You are actually seated with Christ. Your spiritual position is like you're up in the heavenly realms with Christ. You are not of low status. You are children of the living God. Focus on that. You may lack security in, in financial ways, but don't forget you have a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. And you have an inheritance that is waiting for you. All this to say, are you in a place of lowliness? You can boast and you're in all that you are in Christ. And the image I had this week is of people who are in like a, a dark desert, okay, of, of the circumstances of life. Uh, and it's, I was in the desert not too long ago. And the thing about the desert, it's dark, but at night, those stars shine really brightly, don't they? And so I picture James talking to these people who are in low, dark circumstances and saying, Look up at the stars of the gospel realities that you experience. Your future is bright, and even your presence is rich because God is with you, and he has clothed you in Christ. This is the message to Christians of humble, lowly circumstances. And so I would invite you this morning to just consider for yourself, uh, many of us, I, I would hope, actually don't identify as the lonely. If we do, we, we need a perspective shift, probably. Um, but there are parts of our lives where we do, where you might feel like, gosh, I actually feel, as you described lowly, I feel that in this area of my life right now. And it could be financial, but it might be social. It might be your health. It might be relational. It might be some circumstance where you're just like, ah, I actually identify. <laughs> I identify with humbled and lowly in ways that are hard for me. And James's invitation would be, I get that. I understand that. But don't forget, you are so rich. And focus on that. Look to that and find hope in that. That is the good news for you. So that is his, his word to the lowly. And what I love is many of us can think of people uh, in our lives, they might be in different parts of the world from here, that really are lowly from, the, from worldly standpoints, but they do this, and they are people of joy, they are people of hope, they are people of fun, they are people of compassion, like they have embraced how rich they actually are in Christ, and they're living it out, and that's the call that James is giving them. So then, James turns to the rich. I'm going to take a little more time on this one than on the lonely, on the lowly. Verse 10, but the rich. And so I want to, I'm going to, I want to make just a couple comments about the rich um, before I say what he says here. And um, whenever I teach on wealth, I've, been, I've taught on wealth a lot over the years, and two comments I think always need to be made. The first one is this. One is that wealth is relative, Wealth is always relative. It's always in comparison to something else. And what I've noticed over the years is that when I teach on the rich, some of you in this room go, yeah, that's me. The rich, you're, you're talking to me. And some of you, when you hear the phrase the rich, you go, oh, I know those kinds of people. I know those kinds of people. This is true. And what's crazy is those two people could have the exact same net worth. 
Okay? It's, a diff- it's just a perspective because wealth is relative. There's always someone else that you could compare yourself to that has more or less. And so it's always helpful to remind people of the, the comparativeness of wealth. And the, the analogy I've always loved to use is imagine that, that the, the wealth of the world is, is like a spectrum in this room. And at the far, far back, sorry, living room people, but in the back wall is the poorest of the poor of this world. <laughs> And there's a line that runs all the way there to this window, and this is the wealthiest of the world's wealthiest, okay? Right by my office, right? Um, And it's helpful to remember that pretty much every single one of us in this room, maybe one or two of you know, but pretty much every single one of us is sitting in this section right here, right? We are in the top 10, probably 5, many 1% of the world's literally wealthiest people. But it's relative, and there are various seats in this section. Stu's sitting right here, but look at Joel. He's two seats over, and Stu's probably not going to spend his time looking back there at Steve Olson towards the back. He's going to be looking at Joel and thinking, why is Joel closer to Dave's office than I am, right? (laughs) This is, it's relative. And so it's kind of a state of mind how we think about this. I've just noticed that over the years. The other thing that's always important to say about wealth, especially with hard-hitting passages, is to remind us that nowhere does Scripture say that wealth is a sin. Okay? Wealth is, is not evil. Scripture never says that. In fact, in the Bible, God blesses um, some, many of his followers, with wealth. Um, the question biblically is always, how do we use our wealth? And especially, what place does our wealth have in our hearts? And so I think the, the, the biblical category for wealth is not sin, but it is the category of spiritual danger. <laughs> this represents not sin, but a spiritual danger. That is, I believe, the consistent teaching of Jesus and his followers about wealth. And so scripture has some really good advice to wealthy Christians on how to protect themselves from spiritual danger. Okay, let me give you a couple. One great word of advice is this, practice gratitude. Okay? This is Paul in, in 1 Timothy, 1, or 1 Timothy uh, 6. He says, God has richly given you everything for your enjoyment. Are you wealthy? Don't be entitled. Be grateful. Enjoy it. Okay? That's a great word of advice. That is not the advice James gives us here. Okay? Another great advice, maybe the most important one, practice generosity. Again, Paul says that. The rich, be generous, be willing to share. God has given you this wealth so that you might use it for his kingdom. Hold it loosely, give it away regularly, send it out for kingdom causes. Practice generosity, great advice. That is not the advice James gives here. I'd rather preach both of those sermons, okay? James's advice is a little strange. Verse 10, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Poor people, take pride in your riches in Christ. Rich Christians, what on earth does this mean? Boast in your humiliation. What I think he's saying is it's a radical way of saying be humble. Recognize you are small. Recognize how you and all this stuff you have is so fleeting and temporary. Look at what he says right after this. Verse 10, second half. Since they will pass away like a flower... For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. It's all so temporary. 
He gives an image, you know, any chance I have to talk about wildflowers, I will talk about wildflowers. Um, you know, we're coming up on my favorite season of the year, which is springtime around here. And by March, early March, our fields are all going to be green, right? The mustard's going to be blooming. And by late June, it's gone. <laughs> right? Three months, maybe, it's gone. And this is James's image. This is your life, wealthy people. Look at how it ends, uh, end of verse 11. In the same way as this, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. How many wealthy people have you seen fade away even as they're going about their business? Running a company and dying in the midst of running a company, right? Working on their portfolio and all the stuff that they're trying to work for their retirement and they're gone right in the middle of all their business. Almost everybody is still working on it when they die. It's in some, some fashion, right? And James is like, this is what I want you to realize. This is what I want you to boast in. <laughs> if you could imagine that. Boast in how transitory, how small and temporary you and all this wealth is. Because the challenge of wealth, of course, as we know, is it is something that is something that we will take pride in and boast in, in ways that are very insidious. Because wealth seems to promise, and hear me on this, it seems to promise kind of all the things that God promises. Let me list a couple. It seems to promise us security. How many of you right now, as you're looking to the next 10 years of your life, what makes you feel okay about those next 10 years? Right? What makes you feel, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Often it's I have these resources. I have this money stashed away. That's what's going to make, that's what makes me feel secure about the next 10 years. Wealth promises status and, 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 um, and significance, right? As I interact with my friends and people in my neighborhood, what makes me feel like I kind of measure up? What's well, the stuff I've got? It's this house I've got. It's, it's what I've built up. It promises satisfaction. Money buys great food, fun toys, great vacations, Right? Satisfaction. Uh, and a key one that I was thinking this week, wealth, it, it gives us a sense of power and agency in this world. Wealthy people, which I identify as, just to be clear, have the sense of, I, can sh I have the resources and the wherewithal to shape the world around me the way I want it to be shaped. It's a sense of, I can kind of, you just kind of take for granted in ways that we wouldn't even understand unless we didn't have this. Like, I can kind of make the world do around me what I want it to do. When something's broken, I can call someone and pay them to fix it, right? When I'm sick, I can call a doctor. I'm injured. I can call a doctor and, and pay them to, to fix this for the most part. When I feel like I'm lacking something I want, I can click something and it's here tomorrow, Right? And what that can do is create a sense of, we, don't, we wouldn't think of it this way, but a sense of entitlement that the world actually should conform to my desires. Let me give you a, a, an entitlement story uh, from my own life. So this is a, a story of the lifestyle of the rich and famous, okay? So <laughs> I don't know, six years ago, Carrie and I, uh, my parents will appreciate this, will remember this, we were on our anniversary uh, dinner date. We went down to Bandera and CDM. We used to live in CDM. 
And uh, I love Bandera, I love that restaurant. And so we're sitting down. We probably have a glass of wine in front of us. And my parents are taking care of the kids. Uh, they're babysitting the kids. Our youngest is probably like a year and a half old, Josie at the time. And so we're just enjoying, you know, you, if you've been down there, you know that the vibe is great and we're enjoying this. And then my wife looks into her purse and we've got a serious crisis. She goes, oh my gosh, Josie's pacifier is in my purse. <laughs> And, and um, we haven't been the best of parents. Josie was very pacifier dependent at one and a half. Like, getting to sleep without a pacifier would be not, not a possibility. Like, we have set my mom up to fail. She, we, we can't leave grandma with Josie without a pacifier. And so we're in crisis mode. And like, ah, oh, we just got, I've got my wine. I'm ready. To, then I'm going to drive up there and come back. What are we going to do? And then this thought occurs to me, like, Uber. It's Uber. And so I get on my phone, I punch some buttons. Three minutes later, Carrie goes out to the parking lot, hands a pacifier to an Uber driver. <laughs> he drives up to Spyglass. My mom gets out, gets the pacifier, problem solved, back to my meal. We're done. One of the best decisions I've ever made. That right there is the lifestyle of the rich and famous. When we have problems, I, I have a reason. The world should conform to my desires. True story. And the danger of all of it is this illusion of self-sufficiency, right? The illusion of self-sufficiency. This is, of course, the church in Laodicea from Revelation 3. You've heard me talk about this a lot. They were wealthy, and here's what they were saying in their hearts. I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I've got Uber. I don't need a thing. We don't think this theologically, right, for Christians, but we think it practically. Practically speaking, I don't need God to get through my days. Right? I, I can, my resources can kind of get me through my days. And so the dangers are wealth becomes our boast. Not that we're going around bragging about how much we have, but our, that place of confidence, not our theological savior, but our practical savior, the thing that we are relying on to get us through life. And when that happens, the danger is we lose sight of our spiritual riches, right? And you know that, that, that image um, I gave you of the poor in a, in a dark valley, a dark desert, looking up at the stars, okay? The rich are also looking up at the stars. And what do the rich ultimately, rich Christians have to boast in? The exact same thing as poor Christians, right? Who we are in Christ, our eternal, all this. We have all the same things to boast. And the problem is, it's like we're living in a city full of lights. And you all know how hard it is to see the stars when you're in Costa Mesa, right, in, at night. And the stars are just as big. They're just as glorious, right? And they're a lot bigger, more glorious than the lights all around you. But these lights are so much closer, <laughs> right? And so... They dim the glory of this, and they distract from the glory of this. This is the danger, the spiritual danger of wealth. And if we're not careful, uh, we get pulled away and we lose sight of God's priorities. Uh, I want to read one other passage to you today. Go to James 5, 1. Uh, trigger warning, James goes into Old Testament prophet mode right here, okay? And you can thank me afterwards that I'm not doing an entire sermon on these verses, okay? I expect to be thanked after this. Um, 
Let me just read this and make a couple comments. I actually do not believe James is speaking to Christians in this passage. Um, I'll tell you why after. Let me read it to you. Now listen, you re- I need a better reader up here. Someone could do profit mode better than me, but I'll do it anyways. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. Wow. Now, I think this is like a, you read the Old Testament, there's like these woe oracles against the nations uh, around Israel, like God's judgment coming on, on the nations. I think that is what James is doing here, is, is the worldly rich. These people do not appear to be Christians by my reading. James is, is pronouncing judgment on them. And in some ways, this is probably written more for the poor than it is for the rich. The poor hear this and realize, oh, yes, our vindication will come one day. Justice will be served one day. But let me just, just I mean, I, again, I could give a whole sermon on this, but look at this description. There's misery that's coming upon you. James is calling out to those who have a ton in this life and are really abusing it in this life, and he's, he's giving them perspective. Hey, you may not know this, but the day of the Lord will come, the return of Christ, and that will not be a day of salvation for you. It will be a day of misery. And guess what? You can't take with you into the next life. All this stuff right, that you've gathered, your wealth. Verse 2, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten the clothes. Sounds like Jesus. Your gold and silver are corroded, right? This, all this stuff, it fades over time. Uh, oh, man, look at the second half of verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You don't realize you're living in the very last days. Jesus could return any moment. It's such a short time. And what are you doing? You're hoarding wealth in the last days. What are you doing? How about this verse, um, Oh, look at the end of verse 9, or verse, gosh, my eyes are going bad. Verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This phrase right here, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. We are like cows going to the slaughterhouse. The slaughterhouse is the day of the Lord, judgment coming. And instead of thinking about maybe we shouldn't go this way, you're just fattening yourselves up, getting nice and ripe for the day of slaughter. That's, That's an image. And maybe most importantly, you are taking advantage of the poor in the process, right? Verse 4, look the wages you failed to pay the workers. These people who mowed your fields. Uh, Verse 6, you condemned and murdered the innocent one, right? It's easy for wealthy people to take advantage of poor people because they hold all the cards. And there's, he's saying, you will stand before God on trial and many things will testify against you on that day. The rust of your silver and gold, he says, will testify against you. The wages of the workers will testify against you. The cries of the reapers will come into the ears of the Lord Almighty. That's verse 4. Literally, the, it's literally in the Greek, Lord Sabaoth, which is what we, read, uh, we sang today, right, in A Mighty Fortress. Lord of hosts, Lord of the armies. This is the Lord who will hear the cries of these workers. So if this is a pronounce, pronouncement of judgment, on the wealthy who, 
who are living in luxury and indulgence and then taking care of the poor. I do not believe this, this is the audience that James is actually writing this letter to, and we could talk about that afterwards. But what we would want to say is that wealthy Christians should see this and say, we want to, be, we want to stay as far away from being that kind of person as possible. That's what we want to do. So let's, let's wrap this up back to our verse. So how do we do this? Again, gratitude, generosity, those are great things. That's not what James says here. How do you do this? Back to our verse, verse 10, boast in your humiliation. <laughs> Be humble. Recognize that all you are and all you have is so fleeting and temporary. I want to leave you with um, an image from maybe the wealthiest man that wrote parts of Scripture, which is Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, we think. And he, the central image of Ecclesiastes is the, is the Hebrew word hevel. And if you're in Axios a couple years ago, you know about this word, hevel. It often gets translated meaningless, meaningless, or vanity, vanity. But at its root, hevel means smoke or vapor. You're right? Your life is a vapor. And this is the central image of, of Ecclesiastes. From this wealthy man who had had it all, he says, I want to impress something on you. I want you to learn it's all hevel. It's all smoke. Meaning... You, you, you try to get your hands around it, it'll slip through your fingers. You, you can never fully, it doesn't do what it says it's going to do, and it might be here today, but it's going to be gone tomorrow. It's like trying to get your hands around smoke. You can't do it. It's hevel. And that is a picture of you <laughs> and all that you have. It will fade. You will fade, and it will fade. And one thing counts, Solomon says, fear the Lord. Keep his commands. That is the one thing that counts. Or in Paul's language at the beginning, boast in the cross of Christ. That is the one thing you can count on. That is the one thing that won't slip through your fingers, that will remain forever. That is James's call to wealthy Christians. And so I want to leave you with a practice this week. And you'll think, this is such a morbid practice, Dave. What a, what a, what a buzzkill sermon. <laughs> I want to invite you, and I want to invite myself, to take this image into your week, smoke. And I want you to go home today, and I want you to walk into your home. Some of you have humble homes. Some of you have very nice homes. I want you to walk through the rooms of your home, and I want you to say, Hevel, Hevel, this home will not be here in 100 years, or to look completely different than it looks right now. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to disappear. I want you to step into your position at work tomorrow, and um, maybe you've got a lot of influence at work and you've got a nice office at work. I want you to step into that and just go, Hevel, I'll be gone. I'm going to step onto this stage to this pulpit today. Hevel, one day I'm not going to be the guy up here. Someone else is going to be doing this. One day this building will be gone. <laughs> this community as it stands will be gone. <laughs> Hevel. I want you to have a great trip. As you go on a trip in the next weekend or so, get away, have a great time, and on your way back just go, Hevel. Hevel, right? And you know, I was thinking, um, sometimes the best opportunities to experience this is when some of our worldly things are taken away from us. And I, I have good friends who, um, they, they lived in a previous house, and their, their um, refrigerator had, a, had water on the refrigerator, and it was broken, and, 
it literally took 30 seconds to fill up a cup of water with their, with their water filter. And 30 seconds sounds like a long, long time, but sit for 30 seconds filling up a small cup of water. It's a long time to wait. It's broken, right? And they joked about it. They said, yeah, this is our, this is our practice of, of spiritual patience. <laughs> and I actually would go over there enough like, oh, yeah, this, I like that. Like, hey, rather than fix this, we're going to lean into this. We're going to lean this is an opportunity to practice spiritual patience for 30 seconds as my water is slowly filled in this cup. And I thought that is, it's moments when the worldly stuff doesn't go the way we want, that is a great opportunity to practice Hevel. You know like when you buy a new car, I've, I know friends that have happened, you buy a new car and a week later you get rear-ended? Like, ugh, Hevel. Just soak it in, yes. Hevel, right? You make a big investment, and it falls through. Say it. Hevel. Hevel. <laughs> You've got, you take your well-behaved kids and gra- or grandkids to a restaurant, and they are throwing a tantrum in front of everybody. Hevel. 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 You have back surgery. It goes great. You step back out on the court, and you tear your Achilles. Right? Hevel. This isn't where my hope is. This is not my pride and joy. Lord, you alone are my hope. You alone are my confidence. All of this, it's rubbish. I consider it all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me leave you with this. Oops. Oh, gosh. Uh, Okay. Go back. Go back. Can you give me the end of that? This is from Jeremiah. This is where else comes. Can you give me my sermon back? Give me back... (laughs) What do I say? <laughs> this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise, wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let's pray.